We've had some truly excellent teachers with Dan, Tara, and John yeah. Wellwood. And when I think of John Wellwood, I think of one line in particular he's very famous for, which is about spiritual bypass. Correct. You know, and uh, it, it's a very sophisticated um, kind of advanced notion, and, and I think we've all benefited from it uh, right. in many ways, as you say, dealing with people's real-life suffering and wanting to help them not pretend, you know, it's right. it's all okay, but making it better. Correct. Welcome to the Metta Hour with Sharon Salzberg, where Buddhist wisdom meets everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Be Here Now Network and features interviews with the top leaders, teachers, and thinkers of the mindfulness movement and beyond. For more information, visit BeHereNowNetwork.com backslash Sharon. Hi, this is Sharon Salzberg, and I'm delighted to welcome two special guests to the Metta Hour today. The first is my longtime teacher, Sonny Rinpoche, and the second is a longtime friend and colleague, Daniel Goldman. Sonny Rinpoche is a beloved teacher among the new generation of Tibetan Buddhist meditation masters, widely recognized as an outstanding meditation teacher, which he is for over 25 years. He is the author of Open Heart, Open Mind, Fearless Simplicity, and Carefree Dignity. He has received accolades from prominent Buddhist teachers, including His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. Daniel Goldman is the internationally best-selling author and co-author of several books, including Emotional Intelligence, Focus, and Altered Traits. He was a science reporter for the New York Times, was twice nominated for the Pulitzer Prize, and received the American Psychological Association's Lifetime Achievement Award for his writing. We're coming together today to celebrate a new book by Danny and Rinpoche entitled, Why We Meditate, The Science and Practice of Clarity and Compassion, which comes out on December 6, 2022. We're also joined today by Rinpoche's translator, Adam Kane. Hey, everybody. It's so wonderful to be with all of you. I'm with you in different situations, sitting with Rinpoche online with Adam translating. And Danny uh, is actually responsible for my entire life since he introduced me to my first ever meditation retreat and teacher. Um, so I lay it all on him, uh, really, gratefully so. Um, and congratulations on the book. The essence of the book, as you describe it, is to help people to enjoy their birthright of a grounded body, open heart, and clear mind. It's a real gift. Um, and here we are. Ribiche, you are in, in Colorado, is that right? Right, yeah. I'm going to start the conversation with you. Um, you come from a long line of meditation masters, including your uh, very eminent father, whom uh, Dan and I both had the honor of studying with. Uh, born in Kathmandu, raised in the mountains of Nepal and India. You've studied and practiced Buddhist meditation from a very young age and have taught since your 20s. Uh, when you first came to the States, which I remember very well, I'm curious what drew you to Western psychology and how you've bridged this these ancient Eastern lineages and modern Western life, which you do very well. Uh, as you mentioned that I came very early 
to this country. And also I met both of you at a first visit. And also I was very lucky that I met Nyoshukhen Buche, very high uh, social master, respected uh, by many uh, people. And I got an uh, opportunity to study with him also. And then he asked me to teach one text at that time. And he came in the morning, he meditated with the group. And evening, I taught by the text. So I thought it was going very well. Uh, I thought all the cognitive explanation, uh, which I learned from uh, teachers, I explained here and there. And then not only that time, so I continue uh, several years after that. Of course, I didn't stay in the U.S. for full time, but come and go. So then at some point I realized that understanding is the one thing and uh, uh, going into the body and transform the feeling uh, is the one thing. So then I started to learn. Uh, you know, many of my friends or students also, uh, they are experts of psychologies. And uh, specifically, I learned from uh, Tara Goldman and uh, John Walworth. So I was really into uh, learning uh, the human uh, mind, which is conditioned by different cultures. So it's very fascinating that if I know more about the individual or country has a different kind of schemas, as Tara says, or imprints, and that shapes human mind and the feelings and the behaviors. So I try to bring uh, how to uh, minimize a misunderstanding or distorted relative, I we call distorted experience, start to identify it as myself as a, this distortion imprints. So I try to bring a meditation technique, a little experience of my experience. experience. So trying to bring together so slowly, slowly uh, this kind of uh, path uh, developed uh, based on psychological understanding and uh, method or from the Dharma, and hopefully it uh, transform human heart uh, blockages and then the misunderstanding in our head. I've been so curious, Rinpoche, about that slowly part because, you know, you mm -hmm. came, uh, I think we were the first group in North America that you were teaching. Right. And there we were. And uh, was it, kind of obvious to you right away, like, oh, this, these people, <laughs> they could use some help with their subtle body, or was it uh, kind of just getting to, to watch and see people's situation? At, at the beginning, I didn't see uh, the problem of the subtle body, myself also, and also to others. Uh, because in Tibetan tradition, we so much emphasize about mind, and the mind includes a feeling, but slowly, slowly, I learn uh, as a modern culture, and there's a split uh, understanding and split uh, feeling also. The cognitive is uh, another one, and the feeling base is emotions, whatever, is slightly different. So when we say mind, <clears throat> when we talk about mind, the feeling might not include. 
So then I tried to bring a feeling world more uh, obvious uh, to this. So at the beginning, I thought, wow, no one has no problem. And uh, why they need a dharma? Oh, maybe dharma is for enlightenment, not so much for, you know, uh, like a transforming, like peace, relax, uh, you know, what do you call like a tame the speediness, anxious, all this uh, I didn't understand at the beginning. So slowly, slowly, <laughs> I understood and more and more. <laughs> then I think there's so much things is there underneath within the feeling, emotions, and then it's called a subtle body, a distorted part of the uh, body connected with the feelings. So I learned so much from my friends, students. So still learning. I'm really eager to learn. Every time someone comes uh, to see me or I go see them. So I ask first thing, what is your uh, specialty of knowledge? And someone said, this is in that then I think it's really uh, trying to uh, understand. The more we understand, the more we feel the other person's uh, pain or, or joy, I think, I think that one can be more uh, effective. We've had some truly excellent teachers with Dan, Tara, and John yeah. Wellwood. And when I think of John Wellwood, I think of one line in particular he's very famous for, which is about spiritual bypass. Correct. You know, and uh, it, it's a very sophisticated um, kind of advanced notion, and, and I think we've all benefited from it uh, in many ways, as you say, dealing with people's real-life suffering and wanting to help them not pretend, you know, it's right. it's all okay, but making it better. Correct. I think I met John, of course, uh, many times. The conversation is not so much, but something in the change, my uh, understanding and feeling. And one evening, we are staying together, and then I asked him to please uh, check me, what I understand, my under understanding. And then he asked some questions, and I answered. And he said, no, 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 you are not uh, answering from uh, feeling. You are answering from the thinking, thought. I said, no, I'm answering. And then somehow some magic happened. So then he said, no, no, this is not, uh, this is your mind talking, not your feeling talking. So something that shift, I sort of boom, like it's kind of really pointed out instruction, like boom, connect the feeling. Like, oh yeah. So then I, you know, this uh, one kind of feeling feels feeling happen. Not only the mind knows the feeling, but feeling feels feeling. Oh, it's different. And from that, many things open. Yeah, it's fascinating. And Danny, I'm curious about this book and how the book project came about because uh, here, you know, we have a different world somewhat of, of deep expertise that have come together in individuals' lives, like, say, mine, you know. Uh, but how, uh, how did the book really get um, formulated? 
Well, the book kind of happened by accident. What happened was mm-hmm. I was at a retreat with Rinpoche at Garrison Institute uh, as I was just finishing a book with our good friend Richard Davidson, who's a neuroscientist at the University of Wisconsin, in which Richie and I uh, looked at the best research on meditation and uh, put it all together and found that indeed there's a there there, that uh, the brain changes in a very good way, that the more you do, the greater the benefits are, and that the benefits vary depending on what you do. And um, Rinpoche said to me, uh, you know, it would be helpful for my Asian students if you put this together in a talk. So I gave a talk at Garrison. Then he said, well, we decided maybe this could be a book. Uh, and, and that was the book. And in the book, as, as you point out, Rinpoche really teaches people how uh, to do the practice and why. And I come in from a science point of view. My background is a PhD in psychology and um so I, I take that uh, kind of science journalist approach and I look at each of the methods that Rinpoche offers uh, through the lens of what the scientific findings are. Mm. And it turns out to be uh, uh, quite powerful. And all of them are actually very well grounded from a Western point of view. Do you think that um, some of the themes are unique to kind of the fast paced technology with which we live? You know, there's no lack of, connecting 24 hours a day if one wants that from email messaging social media and the internet as a whole you know i found one of the most useful messages that Rinpoche has is about what he calls speediness that we go too fast we go, get beyond our capacity you know you can you can doom scroll all day all night <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't help you in fact it makes you more depressed is what the the science shows uh, and uh, by finding what Rinpoche calls the, the the natural speed, I don't know if he calls it that, but what I see as the natural speed, uh, we can make ourselves more sane. I think that uh, the velocity and acceleration and speediness of our culture is making us all a little nuts, frankly. And uh, it's a very healthy thing to tune into the feelings in the body and to what really uh, is the... Uh, best mode and rate at which to operate. And Rinpoche has very good methods for that. Rinpoche, the book covers a lot of subjects very practically, which is wonderful, including the subtle body. And I wonder if you can explain the subtle body for listeners who who aren't familiar with that term, don't know what it is, and don't understand the effect it has on our everyday experience. I think Dan just uh, mentioned about uh, speedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, speediness is also a part of the subtle body. Uh, subtle body has three uh, elements. One is uh, it's called nadi. Uh, closest uh, translation, I think, is channels. And then this uh, movement, uh, where uh, I usually call there's a, a three types of speed limits, and uh, the physical movement, of course, nowadays we have to do a little fast. And I don't see is any uh, problem if we can manage the uh, the feeling speed in the right uh, balance. And then there's the cognitive speed. That if someone says something, you immediately understood. It's not that someone makes joke, after two minutes you laugh. 
It's not that the, the moment they say something, you understood very clear and fast. And physical, I think the modern lifestyle, you have to do a little bit fast. But there's another in the part of the subtle body, there is a feeling that it's become really restlessness. Oh, like if you want to clean the room uh, within one hour, but the feeling says clean within two minutes or five minutes. <laughs> there's a restlessness, is a banging on our body to us to finish very fast, which is uh, not uh, relevant. The relevant, the body need to take is no matter what, it will take one hour. But the feeling says, this, this is called wind energy moving. It says, go fast, go fast, go fast, do it. And then we can do something else. I don't like it, do it. And then there's a lot of reaction of emotions and thought uh, comes with that. After half an hour, you feel so exhausted, tired. This tiredness is not from the physical world. It's not from cognitive that you did not understand. It is the restless energy connected with the emotions and then banking you to finish very fast. So when I say calm, relax means calm that energy, not the physical, not the cognitive thinking. So if we can manage that, I think we will save from burnout. So there's a way that through mindful awareness, aware of that speed, and there's a way that you can bring into is a natural state, enough speed that you can carry on your activity. Maybe you, you are in the computer eight hours, but at some point that restless, restlessness, speedy, uh, become crazy. So before you really become bad, you're aware and the detect and come down. You still can walk on screen for 10 hours. I think you will not exhaust. So exhaustion is not coming from the work. It's not coming from how much physically fast. It is this a banging inside, in the feeling, part of subtle body. So if we capture that, I think we can save a lot of unnecessary suffering. So this is one of the uh, subtle body. And the, the other one is, I think, a little bit common to, I think, modern psychology. Uh, that in the body, we kept uh, imprints. <laughs> There's a healthy imprints, unhealthy imprints. So healthy imprints, of course, we enjoy, is helpful. But uh, unhealthy imprint, I call beautiful monsters. And we all have some. And if you don't have, you are not normal. So we all have. So how to aware of that imprint and then be with that, talk to that, and financially transform in the feeling world. Not only the mind knows, oh, this imprint is not me. It's because I know, let it go. I forgive, yeah, no problem. You know in the mind, but in the in the feeling world, it still holds on. It still tight you. So how to go there? And through awareness, aware of that 
beautiful monster and feel the feeling and of the beautiful monster and then carry the message of, from the mind through the another feeling and be together with the beautiful monster's feeling and the feeling feeling start to communicate and then the feeling transform not only the cognitive mind understood i think understanding no problem we have so many books our ability of knowing understanding is fantastic but for example like a uh the cognitive minds understands but the either numbness in the body or blockages or it carry wrong imprints we know that but how are we going to access to there and to change not from the head to change but we have to need another element carry that cognitive mind's message in the form of kindness is also feeling and that feeling start to talk feel together and then transform that's beautiful and i want to actually go back for even more about beautiful monsters in a minute but uh danny when we talk about imprints i wonder if you could say something about like the role uh-huh. of mindfulness and awareness because it's like i i think sure. about my own experience and one of the sayings i developed for myself uh, at one point when i was having a sort of more uh well i didn't know what the word doom scrolling meant until i was interviewed about it and i said what does that mean you know i was having a more dire perspective on things and and i i developed this saying for myself which was like why are you rehearsing that like you're going over and over and over that terrible possibility as though it was certain exactly. to happen and i'm wondering about things like that uh the patterns that rinpoche is calling imprints from a western psychology point of view start in childhood uh for example think about it when our kids come home from school do we ask them uh, who was kind to you today or how did you do on the test what that the message we give how did you do on the test is that we love you conditionally we love you if you do well on the test this is the kind of interaction between parent and child that leads to the pattern of perfectionism i've got to do better and better uh there are several patterns rupesh found out about them from talking to uh, my wife tara whom you know very well mm-hmm. who was at the time uh doing a, a postgraduate study in what's called the schema therapy which is a psychodynamic cognitive therapy and they they look at the basic patterns that as rupesh says everyone has some of these am- abandonment the the fear of losing someone dear to you mm-hmm. uh or uh, emotional deprivation the sense that nobody really cares about me or empathizes or unlovability if people knew me really well they wouldn't like me all of these you know there are many of these patterns and they develop as i said in childhood but as you said we carry them with us through our lives we ruminate about them we worry about them and needlessly too and uh, rinpoche put this together with teachings from the tibetan tradition and uh, came up with uh, the concept of beautiful monsters and how to work with them and it turns out that his methodology for working with it is is quite um aligned with the modern sense of acceptance of not turning away from them but staying with them feeling the feeling instead of denying the feeling 
and being with the feeling uh, in a way where it's okay, finally. And the, and using that as a method, this is called uh, sometimes acceptance and gratitude therapy in the West. And it, it's uh, highly powerful. Uh, schema therapy does similar things. But it, the basic principle is what Rinpoche uh, teaches with uh, what he calls beautiful monsters, which is don't hide, befriend it, be kind to it, open to it, and then see what happens. It's a little bit of a, you could say, a faith or a self-respect teaching too because the implication is like your awareness can handle this, you know, or awareness itself can handle this. You think it's such a dreadful, terrible pattern and so strong, but there are stronger things actually in our lives that we can we can call upon and, and we learn that we can do that. It's a it's a profound, profound teaching. And um, I do want to get back to it. There, there was one thing about speediness that struck me also, which was that the world expects us to be speedy now. And it's hard not to absorb that. Like I can look at my email or I can just be in a conversation with somebody and you might bring up someone's name. And my first thought is I owe them an email. I didn't respond. <laughs> you know, like how long have they been waiting? And, and they, you know, whoever they are, they're used to me responding right away. And so it's like, what's happening? <laughs> you know, like mm. why aren't you answering me? It's like, I'm just breathing for a moment. You know, like, so the whole planetary metabolism is is faster and faster and faster. And it's Which, by the way, Sharon, I want to get back to your point. Mindfulness is a wonderful antidote mm-hmm. uh, because it changes our relationship to these speedy thoughts so that they don't necessarily control us. Mm-hmm. It, it changes our relationship to all thought, as you know. I think speedy thought, also speedy feeling. Yes, yes. Uh, they are connected. Well, Rinpoche, it's a beautiful reminder as you talk about, say, beautiful monsters, to always look for the feeling because it's maybe the part of the experience we're most separate from or distant from. And uh, it, it it's so terrifying <laughs> to think about feeling those feelings, but really it's so healing to actually come Correct. toward it instead of away from it. Correct. This also strikes me as the kind of book that people will perhaps want to read together mm. and, you know, share their experience doing the practices. It reminds me of Tara's book, actually, uh, when it came out, um, the first book, and which lists all these schemas and, and various patterns. And we had a lot of fun that summer uh, <laughs> thinking about, which am I? I think I'm the abandonment type. <laughs> and I extended that. Um uh, in my personal looking to who do I have the most difficulty with? Like what type? And that was really fascinating too. That's a wonderful idea. Emotional alchemy was the name of that first book by Tara. And, uh, it, you know, these are windows into ourselves essentially. Like if, if a particular beautiful monster appears first to remind oneself, this is a beautiful monster. I can come closer. Our awareness can handle this. And then, do you name the the particular form? Uh, I don't name particularly form like particularly like uh, like a not like a detail like a Tara. Uh-huh. Uh, I think you can look at Tara's book uh, is there, but I all lump together the distorted one, 
distorted imprint. Uh, not anymore uh, relevant to our real life, but it is a part of our life. Mm-hmm. It is in you. So I have this mantra. It's called, it is real, but not true. It is real, but not true. Means the feeling and the fear or suffering from that is a real, is not joke. What it carries the message is not true. For example, I have a problem of a fear of height. So my friend don't have that. I have that. So I cannot walk on the glass bridge, but he did. So it's like a, the fear to me is real. But at the end, I checked by my cognitive mind and tested everything. The bridge is very safe. But although it's very safe, I still cannot cross. So eventually, I should get that message to beautiful monster, you're okay to cross the bridge. But how? The mind talking to the feeling, oh, yeah, yeah, the bridge is safe, you sh- we should go, we should go, but it's not listening. So I need another channel, another feeling carries that 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 message and connect with the beautiful monsters and the feeling and feeling talk and then feeling change and then open up and at the end I could cross the bridge. Can I say something for you about the bridge? As I understand it, two skyscrapers in some countries like Malaysia, way, way, way up, have a bridge between them that is pure glass. And that's what Rinpoche is talking about, the bridge, yeah. the glass bridge. Yeah, it happened to me. I don't want to take so much time here, so <laughs> no, so, you know, I, my old imprint will take over me, so I need to have a handshake breakfast. <laughs> I'm going to get to handshake in a minute, but Rinpoche, I can't believe you say you're afraid of heights because I'm afraid of heights. And I watched this movie of you and your brother, Ming Rinpoche, going back to, I think, your birthplace, maybe. Yes. In Nepal. Yes. And, and, Tressa and Esther, people were writing me saying, did you see how happy they were? Did you see their beautiful smiles? And all I, all I could write back was, I saw that little crumbly path, you know, <laughs> which looked like it was a million miles up. On the cliff, the and sheer the cliff. cliff. If, if you <laughs> fell, if you foot, one foot, you know. But I, thought, I can't believe it. I can't look at this. This is scary. But I guess we can have it in different degrees. Well, um, I- my height, I don't know what you call the, the imprint, uh, I think 90% uh, transform. But the wow. 10% will stay forever, and I'm happy with that. I'm okay with that. That's incredible. I mean, one of the beautiful things about your teaching, Rupache, as you just described, is that people can also uh, be more forgiving of themselves in terms of what they feel and not... Uh, solidify it. Like, I'm such a bad person. I'm such a terrible person. I always will be. I'm always afraid. Um, and that helps you deal with it better. You don't act on it. You can you can let yeah. go of it. You can understand it in a different way. But if you're lost in all of that self-judgment, it, there's no room almost for the other things. Yeah. So just let one minute, I want to add here. So when you have this feeling and thought, I'm bad, I'm this, I cannot do that. So, <clears throat> Sorry. 
the, um, uh, through mindfulness and awareness, immediately aware of that mm-hmm. beautiful monster. And then stay with that. The whole practice is called handshake practice with that. Can you yeah. describe handshake practice a little bit? A handshake practice is like this. Uh, like, for example, uh, on the edge of the bridge, and then I know, wow, there's something inside of me uh, is imprint, uh, different from my other friends. The feeling feels very scared, and the mind knows you should not scare. So there's a split between feeling and the mind thinking. So mind says, you're okay, because everyone is going. We are very safe. The feeling says, no, if you walk, you will die. So there's a split between the, the thinking mind and the feeling world. So I know my head that I can go, but the feeling is not allowing me to go. So I have to be kind to my feeling because it's a part of imprint. It's inside of me now. So handshake means drop that thinking and bring mindful awareness and aware of that feeling, the fearful or whatever is there, and stay with that if you can. If not, stay nearby, but with the one room, not next room. And then listen. Whatever the, the, the beautiful monster wants to share, express, just listen and be kind not to suppress and be kind try not to ignore that be kind trying to not indulge in that because if you're indulging you're supporting wrong thing because you will not die if you cross that bridge but it feels like you will die but you should respect that but you should not support wrongly so you stay there and also try not to bring some like a highly uh, developed method and uh, what do you call a uh, uh, technique uh, like, oh, I'm going to change this beautiful monster's perspective. Then beautiful monster is sometimes connected with the emotions and it hides behind. Looks like, oh, this method works, but actually it hides here and it's sort of shaking from behind, but it, it did not transform. So a strong antidote of method is also not working. So very stay together with the mindful awareness and the beautiful monster, stay together or stay side by side again, again, and then with the trust that a beautiful monster, the true nature of that is the is it will reveal by itself. And the misunderstanding in the feeling of beautiful monster start to open up. And you know, your mind know, but the feeling cannot feel it. So it's just wait there, but don't react towards to it. If you react, then you are reinforcing. If you reinforce, it will make very strong. It's only where not to react is stay close if you stay very far away, then you can react. If you stay almost one of that feeling, 
it's too close to react. If we need to like do it like this, so you have to be far away and then close. But if you're together, it cannot make sound. Like I always give this example. The boxers on the third or fourth round, they hug each other. Why they hug each other? They love each other? I don't know, maybe. But it's too close, they cannot hit. So in order to not to react, we have to be very close. And with a relax. So handshake, I usually call like this. This is a beautiful monster. And this is your awareness and mindfulness. And aware of there. But this will bang you. But you should not do this. Or you should not go together with this. Or you go somewhere else, also not like that. But like this. And go back. Bang you. you just kindly go back. Slowly, slowly, slowly. And open up. And then, hello. Okay, my name is Danny Goldman. <laughs> so then be friend. Then can talk. Then share understanding. Then feeling will transform. Mind is quite fast, understood already before. Many times we say that, I know, I know, I understand, but it still carries here. So understanding is not the whole solution. We need transformation. One of the reasons um, I thought it was so interesting um, to think about people reading this book in little groups, you know, and, and forming kind of communities that people could talk about love and compassion together because we may define the words very differently. And um, I'd like to hear from each of you, actually, uh, Rinpoche, first, how you define the word love, uh, because it's very mm -hmm. complicated for us and maybe it doesn't need to be that complicated. And also, if you could speak about some of the obstacles we face to love and compassion. Thank you. Uh, you know, as you mentioned earlier, in a, when I come to the uh, modern country or modern civilization, uh, emphasize uh, love uh, with a subject, an object. Uh, as Danny mentioned, you know, that when children come from school, uh, they, they did good grade and AAA and big numbers, and the parents shows their affection is different. Their hug is more tight, more like warm. And then sometime later, they didn't do it so well. The hug is one one arm only. You hug. It's kind of hug, but it's a little loose, the distance, cold. So. You know, I'm not blaming the parents. Parents have a good intention. But how we do is like a, we lost the, the valuing or respecting the innate, intrinsic, basic well-being I call is a essence of love or essence love. So we have that actually. And I call that is a birthright from every children, every human has that uh, that light, that spark within us. But more or less we went outside and outside has become more available than the intrinsic uh, nature of love. So this essence love is like this. Sometimes I call it okayness. Feel okay. Without any other reason, 
it's just feel well, feel okay. Why you feel okay is not because of that you you got a high grade or you got a chocolate or you got a new car or you got a. Of course, those are happy. I call bonus, happy with conditions. But this essence love is will give you happy without conditions. It's intrinsic. It's a nature. I think we should nurture that, like give some time to nurture, feel that well-being. And then it's just happy. Some not happy, happy, but some kind of intrinsically in your bone, in your subtle body, in your nerve, everything like feels okay. Even the midst of not okay, of course, there's some okayness. And I call that is like, as British call, home, inner home. And <laughs> opposite opposite of that is hollow. And if you have so much things, you're doing so many things, but in the down hollow, hollow, and a lonely, and a dissatisfaction, dissatisfaction. So I think this is a, a could be a modern problem, and I really want to not to lose our dear childrens. They have certain age. They have that, and then slowly they become distant from that, and then they lost that that well, that richness. So it really is feels so sad sometimes. You know, they are about to losing this and grasping on happy with the reason and the love with the reason. It's just a love. I call it the heat of love. It's like a heat of fire, but not cooking, not burning, nothing. And once we have that, then you can express from there. I call loving kindness and compassion as a expression of essence love. I think then you will yeah. explain much better. Danny, I'm now. I'm so curious because from the Western psychological point of view, you know, in terms of an innate characteristic, in terms of hmm. attachment theory, you know, all of it, like sure. Well, uh, what Ribeshay is talking about is seen in the West as a very important line of development. There are parallel lines of development. There's our biological development, how fast you grow. There's your mental development, how quickly you learn new concepts. And then there's this emotional development, and uh, it's affected very much by what happens to us in childhood. Richard Davidson, for example, found in his research that the kind of well of joy that we see in young toddlers and young children begins to dry up when they go to school, and they start to get in a competitive setting, and then they start to become more eye-focused uh, and uh, Sharon, as you well know, there, there's a big difference between loving kindness, between metta and compassion. Uh, and that from a Western point of view, the technical difference is that loving kindness is wanting, wishing someone well, that they be happy, that they be joyous. Compassion is actually tuning into the person's suffering and empathizing with the suffering. And that is harder. In fact, uh, research shows that most people when they see someone else suffer, turn away rather than turn toward. 
that's a natural response because it's contagious. You feel the suffering and the pain and you want to diminish it. And so you do it by tuning out. But uh, if you can stay with the person and if you can love the person who's suffering, it, it doesn't dim. In fact, then you can actually be there and help them. And there's very good research that shows that uh, this attitude uh, can be changed very quickly through the right methods, Sharon, mm -hmm. which, which, of course, you're, you're known for, uh, and that people become more kind, more generous, uh, and more willing to help people who are in pain and who are suffering the more they do it. I'm wondering, you know, in, in the book's larger themes, um, in this light, you know, uh, if you talk about grounded body, open heart, and clear mind, uh, mm. I'm wondering if the sequence of these becomes very important um, or if it's always, you know, whatever whatever's conditions, whatever situation, you have a teacher perhaps who's emphasizing one or, or something like that because um, to – to see love as not a commodity or some something someone else is going to give us, but something that's within us that can be nurtured and strengthened um, is a very powerful transition for a lot of people and hard to trust in a lot of ways. Uh, but we can learn to trust it and we can really devote some time there. And, and I think that's, that's really important that all of this seems realistic and possible and, and, uh, it is one of the things I really loved about this book is that both themes are very strong. This is realistic. This is how things actually are, if we mm -hmm. can only see. And it's also possible. So do you think we need to work Rinpoche first with the body, no matter okay. what our experience is? Uh, it's a little bit depends uh, which area you want to focus. Uh, if you are very much like a hyperactive in your head and uh, disconnected from the body and the feeling and the numbness mm -hmm. uh, in, in the, some kind of, uh, you know, we, we develop that uh, uh, we don't want to feel. The feeling is too painful. So we make some kind of uh, secure uh, ground. We call it sometimes numbness. So... Uh, if you have that, then I think a grounded body is important. So there's a practice called dropping. The mind, hyperactive, repeating thought with the fear or anxious, sort of like boom, into the body. Aware. Drop and then aware of the body. And then feel your, some like a mindfulness practice. Feel your gross body, physical body. Mind should be with the body. Not thinking much, but knowing and aware of it. And then eventually go a little subtle. Then you will feel some sensations. You will feel some emotions. And then you will feel a core feeling, which I call a subtle body well-being feeling of essence love. And then once you with the, the body start to feel grounded, and then if you feel the essence love, and that is the beginning of open heart. And then the opening heart and the grounded body contributes that the clear mind 
will happen. So you can do that. Or maybe you already have a grounded body, so then you can work more with the, the subtle body at the feeling level of emotional level. If that is quite okay, then you can work with the, you know, find open, clear cognizance, like a not, uh, the thought or thinking is not locked or blocked by some other stuff, like more like which we call openness, a clear openness. Sometimes in the Buddhist we call emptiness. So, and called inner space. So your mind is in enjoying the freedom of openness and inner space. So you can go a different way uh, based on, uh, mm-hmm. I think, what, what, what we need. Mostly in the West, I think grounded body is important and open heart is important. Mm-hmm. Clear mind is quite good. I'm impressed. <laughs> but numbness mm-hmm. or disconnect between mind and body is very much. And the blocked, blockage at the subtle level, feeling world is very much. So I think open heart, very important. And I wrote one book called Open Heart, Open Mind. And I mm-hmm. put open heart first, not open mind. Mm-hmm. Some other people, the writers, they put open mind will open heart. For me, open heart will open mind. It's wonderful. Danny, I just want to sneak in a question to you about research because, sure. uh, you know, in first the advent, the beginning of research was exciting altogether into meditation and, you know, what it might be doing to the mind and body. And uh, all that early research was so much about mindfulness as a method, as a technique, and so much more these days seems to also be including loving kindness and compassion practice. I wonder if you could say something about the state of the art. Uh, Sharon, when we met in the 1970s and I came back to Harvard from India and said I wanted to do research on meditation and mindfulness, my faculty thought that was the stupidest (laughs) idea they'd ever heard. There was absolutely zero receptivity. But slowly, largely through um, the work of our mutual friend, John Kabat-Zinn, there began to be better and better research uh, showing that, hey, mindfulness works, mindfulness matters. And so when Richie and I did our revenge book uh, showing that actually meditation is worth looking <laughs> at altered traits, uh, decades later, we were able to harvest literally thousands of studies of mindfulness and meditation, some of which weren't so good, admittedly, but many of which were excellent. And uh, they showed definitively that you know, mindfulness helps you calm down. It makes you better able to handle stress. It makes you better able to focus. I mean, that's like a no-brainer. Mindfulness is attention training, too. Uh, that, that was very evident. And then when uh, researchers started to look at metta or loving-kindness practice or compassion practice, they realized, what do you know? The, the heart is ready to learn this. You know, what's an eager learner for this? People learn it very quickly. And in fact, it shows in the, in the uh, outcome data that people actually are more kind and generous, as I, as I said. So uh, I think that the world has come around to uh, 
not just accepting, but really embracing the usefulness of mindfulness and uh, that kind of training. Okay, my last question before I ask Rinpoche to lead us in a practice. Um, there's a pretty strong feeling of despair for many, many in this world right now. Uh, I think we've all experienced that in meeting so many people. And I wonder, uh, first Rinpoche, if you could speak a little bit about wise hope and how uh, it's contextualized, how we find it. And even, Dan, I think your book, Emotional Intelligence, was a vehicle of hope and still is actually for a lot of people in that people began thinking, oh, I can be different, you know, than, <laughs> than maybe the conventional standard. I can be myself and find find other kinds of strength. And uh, do we continue on with like that road in, in a way and say, well, maybe loving kindness or compassion is the strongest, most important thing here. And, you know, that's more important than maybe immediate results of an action or something like that. Rinpoche, how do we find wise, wise, good kind of hope? I think I have, I, this can be very long, sorry. <laughs> Not too long. <laughs> no, it's good. Uh, like uh, I have a uh, hope and fear about uh, mm -hmm. The fear is like if we don't do something with our planet and then we will lose all the opportunities for humanity. But human and complex, I have a hope that, you know, human will learn uh, and uh, and then it will become better and better uh, to resolve the uh, problems. Sometimes we don't learn, so we have, uh, you know, conflict problems. But... Uh, when we suffer, when we have a difficult time, and human have ability to to free that problem, to eliminate that problem, so it's go up and down. But in general, for me, from you know earlier century now, I think we are in much better uh, better place. Which I'm coming from Nepal side. I think the our world is more or less much safe, more freedom. More medically, you know, uh, you know, a lot of uh, you know opportunities. People live long, healthy, and the main worry is the global warming. So if we can do something with that. I think we will be in good shape. In order to do that, I think the essence love plays a very important role. Uh, loving kindness, compassion, of course, because the day when human has the hollow inside. And, and they like to eat all the plastic to, to, uh, to feel that hollow. When you find essence love, I think you will eat a lot. We will uh, gather less plastic. I think it will help for environment. So uh, my hope is to find essence love. You will be fine. And then take care of our planet. But feeling okay, just as you are, means you're less of a consumer. Right. So, uh, you know, this metaphor of eating plastic, all the things we buy, we don't really need, don't really use. We do it for emotional reasons, not because we actually have need. And uh, when you talk about finding hope, I, I think of um, His Holiness the Dalai Lama urging people 
He says, each of us has a sphere of influence, no matter who we are, our family, our friends, our position, mm-hmm. our skills. He says, use it for the greater good. And don't um, wait to see the fruits of your actions. Act now, even if you won't live to see the fruits of your actions. Mm-hmm. It's, it's extremely important. We all do what we can, each of us. That's what's going to change things. Right. It's fabulous. Thank you. And uh, really, thank you both. And Rupert, I'm wondering if you would lead us in uh, just a short practice. Okay, sure. So I think first we do uh, a drop-in practice. Uh, there's three things happening here in this uh, practice. Let you go in the mind and uh, a little bit of long breath and the release the you know tension or backpack and then uh, be aware of your body and then stay in the body so it goes like this like this and invite mindful awareness and aware of your body. Feel the body, the firmness, the groundedness. And whatever feeling arises, arises within the feeling world. Just aware and feel that feeling. Can be anything, pleasant, unpleasant, or no feeling like a numbness. Just aware of that. Feel that numbness and relax. Relaxing is a kindness. And maybe some energy, speediness, restlessness, anxious, anxiety. Try not to blow. Just welcome. Welcoming and opening is also kindness. Stay with that if you can. Feel that. And relax. Relaxation is not a separation. is a share feeling and understanding. Maybe sometimes some old imprint might react it. Beautiful monster might arise. Grieve, lost, regret, 
जैसे है दिस पार्ट ऑफ इम्पेमिनेंस स्माइल smile and listen listening is the kindness eventually we start to open up we will have a another feeling is okay The beautiful master is okay, not by a cognitive mind. Just another feeling merge out of this practice. It's not scary. It's okay. And nurture that feeling is part of essence love. try not to grasp on it try not to attach to it just stay with it and things are moving changing opening allowed everything coming and going and within that you find space space between the grasping mind and the beautiful monster there is openness and you feel open feel light and the beautiful monster start to change and then you feel well and you ready to do something there's urge want to share this well-being and that is the beginning of loving kindness you want to share you want to love and loving kindness leads into compassion and compassion leads to bodhicitta and then you carry our action to the world and as deni says we try everyone try on on part and on action thank you mm thank you so much thank you both for joining me today <clears throat> thank you i only wish we could be together but next time maybe yeah it's a real pleasure sure it's nice to see you again it's, it's nice been a long time it's nice to see time. you as well <laughs> it's been a long time Uh, to learn more about Danny Rinpoche's work, you can visit their respective websites. It's sunnyrinpoche.org. It's T-S-O-K-N-Y-I-R-I-N-P-O-C-H-E.org. Or danielgolman.info. It's D-A-N-I-E-L. 
G-O-L-E-M-A-N.info. And I so highly recommend getting a copy of their book, Why We Meditate, which is available in hardcover, ebook, and audiobook on December 6, 2022. Thank you for everybody listening. This has been the Meta Hour podcast from the Be Here Now Network. May you be safe, be happy, be healthy, and may you live with ease. Hey folks, thanks for listening. To learn more about Sharon and her ongoing teaching schedule, as well as online courses and a free guided meditation, check out her website at SharonSalzberg.com.